0: This is me, and this is me, and this is me. So I had an had an insight. There and I was on holiday and with Elisa and the kids, yeah. and we were away for three day, three days, three nights. And each night I had about an hour and a half free. And I thought, I'm going to learn some tunes, because there was a threat of an upcoming session. <laughs> I thought, I better learn some tunes. Just like the fire of it. Oh, it's under your <laughs> arse to kind of get you going. So. So I had this realization that um, for me, you know, I'll sit down and I'll start going over tunes, and after a while, I get, I get pretty, I get pretty tired pretty quickly. I thought you were going to say I pretty think. good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> and uh, I get pretty tired pretty quickly, and and I think to myself, oh, just have a wee break, maybe go get a beer. Must be, must have been at, at, at this for forty minutes, but I and I look and it's like been seven and a half minutes. <laughs> So something's happening to time as I'm as I'm trying to uh, work my way around tunes that I should already know. Imagine how everyone else feels. I know. Can imagine having to listen to it. <laughs> somebody somebody said to me um, a while back. Uh, a very trusted friend said to me when I said, uh, he gave me a big list of tunes that often get played at uh, one of the sessions that I go to." And I said, "Jesus, there's about three hundred tunes here. I don't know where to start." He says. How about you just start by learning the ones you already know a bit better? how long did it take like, you f- to pick yourself up off the floor after you said that? Why advice? Yeah. It was, it was, it was advice given in a spirit of love, so I gladly took it on board. Yeah. So, nice. So that, those were the tunes I was working on, actually, um, all tunes that I kind of know in a half-assed way, like uh, and trying to um, trying to fix them, trying to fix things that are. Not like the the shortcuts that I've developed out of laziness and just bad habits. Trying to actually uh, weed those out and replace them with the actual phrases and notes that are mm. supposed to be in there, that to help you know just articulate a tune properly. So
1: I keep a list of of tunes I've learned, which is really kind of makes sense. I wish I kind of did it earlier because you often forget. Particularly if you kind of like, oh, you're in a mood and you kind of pick up a tune, it comes easy,
2: yeah.
1: and you forget you know that tune. But anyway, keeping this list, and then I was I started off being really regimented about I'm only putting it in there if I know the tune. If you can pick it up now and play it, well, to go and put the instrument away and you're done. And a few snuck on there that I kind of ah, sure I know it. I know I know the most of it, and they they have become for me the hardest tunes to to master. Because they just, they kind of sit in this limbo of, yeah, I know them, but you don't know them well enough, so you don't practice them. And the reason you don't practice, like the very thing that you're failing, you need to get out there and just practice the well, goddamn things. it's funny you say that, because
0: so then I, I filled like a, a page, two columns of, of tunes that I know. And then I did. What it was a very did. short piece of I went through, it was <laughs> a bit of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one word yeah, you turned a page landscape <laughs> so uh, so then i went through and i ticked the ones that i could actually play so that kind of whittled them down so sorry uh, songs you know down to songs you could play yeah, yeah basically okay. yeah ones that i could in 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 the sense. company of other people who aren't family members uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, who aren't forced to live with me w- would listen to so that that was very very quickly reduced them so i have a i have a list now that's got Uh, The ones that I can play in a a few little sets and then others that I'm three quarters of the way there um, that I'm still sort of trying to become fluent in. And then others that are uh, have huge gaps in them. (laughs) So anyway, that's what I've been working on. It's it's not that interesting, but uh, it it was interesting to me that I discovered yet again that uh, there's a lot of work involved. in. You should learn the ones you already know wise words for all of us as with so much in life you know Mm -hmm. and yeah so that that was my week and now uh this week's episode which is a spectacular episode Mm -hmm. even by our (laughs) our vast catalogue of spectacular episodes Uh, that was my bag falling over there in case you heard it um today's guest is afric boylan an amazing fiddle player and we just uh are so glad to have a chance to chat to her because um, for the last year and a half we've been wanting to do this so yeah no, that's today's guest and there's not much to be said about her playing because you'll hear it and it's just phenomenal so should we just go I was thinking about doing uh, the oh yes. Patreon stuff yes. up front just because sure change yeah. it up a bit well so patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims that is the place to go if you would like to become a patron and help support this podcast two dollars an episode is what we're asking you can give a little more if you'd like four dollars an episode and, and i'm laughing because
1: whatever we're up to like episode 57 or so at the minute yes i've just thought of but maybe it's been a long day but the patron saint of the Lani programs. If you would like to become a patron saint of the Balani Pilgrims, that rattled in my head, and that made me have a, bit, a, bit, a giggle. Someone said I it be okay would to interrupt you. What, what, Everyone, <laughs> there are many the patron, patron saints. Of you are the patron saint. You are
0: our patron saints. So um, uh, there's always room for more in the the broad church of the Pilgrims. Jo- join Potters. the blessed for you. So come on in. Come on in. It it it's utterly painless, and your reward will be great in heaven. Plus, you listen differently. You hear. Things that you might otherwise escape you once you've actually become part of this paying community that's helping to support this so we are completely grateful to everyone who listens whether you pay or not but if you pay you're enabling us to keep this going so patreon.com forward slash pilgrims that's the place to go away away and do it now with that Shall we just get into this? Let's do that. All right, here is Afric boiling. Enjoy. Warmed up now,
3: hopefully.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you
0: Boyle Boylan, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrim's podcast. <laughs> uh, so what were those tunes?
3: Uh, the first one was The Golden Castle or On Cashel on Ore, which is written, was a hornpipe written by Junior Crean. Um, and the second one, I think is called Mickey Callahan's Fancy. Mm-hmm. Is there
0: a reason why you, you wanted to start with those? Or?
3: Yeah, I suppose they're probably a pair of tunes, which I think th- th- that was a moment in my, my as, as, a, as a child hearing music where something just, sparked for me like a, a sort of the first time i was electrified by music was when i heard those tunes and they were played it was a re- fiddle recital at the willie clancy week when i was about 12 and it was the first year we'd gone as a family and i heard pj hayes martin hayes i think it might have been um bobby casey with them uh playing those tunes and it just it was just amazing that the rhythm and the the vibe you know it was just like i'd never heard anything like it It was just magic music and I was like, Oh, right, okay, I get it now. <laughs> um so they were they're always they're kind of touchstone tunes for me. They kind of yeah, they they were they they were a moment. Yeah.
0: So so what happened um to to bring you to the Willie Clancy week where you're like well, actually let me ask you that again.
1: <laughs> I just wanna say though that that playing touched something and like that was it sounded something something sounded different to me in that is 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 that the traditional like the what do you call it the the standard way of that tune those that set of tunes been played or?
3: Yeah, I mean they are they are um, I suppose they they would be East Clare tunes um, and they would be played in that way the very lilting way. Um, yeah, I mean I think they're not always played in that in that key. So the first one I think is is often played in I think G, but um, yeah.
0: What what key were you in there because I the second one in particular sounded like.
3: I'd oh god uh, I don't even know <laughs> yeah. da, 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 da. so that second was an F um, the first one was I think um, D minor probably
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. now, um, yeah, yeah.
0: anyone listening to this wouldn't believe it but I actually was thinking as you were playing that I thought that's like June, so I it's <laughs> <an F." clears throat> but it might have been just there's something about the um, the timbre of that key that that
1: I think
3: that sort of grabbed me too. Yeah, there's has a sort of a soulfulness, and yeah, and I remember hearing that that recording. And I hope I can someday find it in some archives and marks. I I, I taped it in that recital. I had a little, you know, those boxy tape recorder recorders. and it was, it was, you know, noisy, That's kind of squeaks when it's recording as well. But sure, everyone in the audience probably had one as well. And I remember sort of recording it and I played that tape so many times, just listening back over that track again and again. Just, and there's something about, because some of the players, I think there might have been a few other guys playing with them and they just played like a mantra around and around and around. You know, and it was almost, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was like a mantra. And th- it was all about the rhythm. And there was, some of the older musicians who were, pro- who were playing probably weren't completely accurate in their, you know, intonation and stuff, but that actually added to it. It was like this sort of pulse. It was just incredible, yeah. And, yeah, it was that moment I kind of went, oh, there's magic in this. I I often think when you were sitting in that hall listening to that music, you could actually feel the ocean in, in the music sometimes. That might sound overly sentimental or romantic, but that's the way it felt at the time.
0: I can see what you're getting at there, and I could see when you were playing, particularly as you moved into that second tune, that you started moving yourself. You know, and I totally get what you're talking about with the ocean. I totally, yeah. totally get that. And
3: yeah, I think you hear yeah. that in the Clare music in particular, you know. Um, I think in Milton and when the, the Willie Clancy Week could be going on, you're very conscious of being near the sea, and but the music has that pulse to it.
0: So what is the Willie Clancy Week? Just
3: um, It's on every year uh, in July, first week of July, uh, in Milton and County Clare. It's been going on for well, decades now, Um and it's yeah just a sort of a gathering of kind of it's a mecca really of, of um a sort of summer school i suppose is what it's based around so this there's, there's a summer school for workshops and all the different instruments um um and yeah i suppose you get just children adults everyone is congregating and learning tunes from the masters so all the best well, I say all the best but a lot of the best players will give workshops master classes so you get that kind of face time with people you normally we just, i suppose at that time we'd just heard on CDs or on tapes right. and, you
0: know and that, and that was your first um visit to the Willie Clancy week so, yeah, we uh, so you could play by that point
3: yeah i was yeah i was like, i suppose we went my my parents decided to go once they felt we'd benefit from it that we were good enough to be able to go to a a decent class and actually pick something up beyond just learning a few simple tunes to actually get um you know you're going to kind of learn something beyond just the notes maybe to learn about style or um yeah, kind of the the uh the soul of it or whatever, but a bit more than just learning tunes for tune's sake, yeah. yeah. So I think we'd gotten to that point myself and my siblings where a few of us were up to up to up to it, I suppose. So
0: So yeah. how did you start then? When did you start playing?
3: Um I was, I was about five or six years old and I'd seen I saw a girl playing fiddle on the TV and I sort of pointed at, that, at them at that and said I want to do that so I think there had been plans for me to, to learn piano or something but they were ditched and um yeah I was I started doing fiddle lessons near do you know you who know. it
0: was you saw on the TV do you remember no what? idea
3: it was probably <laughs> something completely random yeah no idea um but I think my father was delighted because he was uh, he was a whistle player and he he, he loved Irish music played a, f- a bit around the house um but had been going to the flag hill for years um so he was he was into it and loved listening to it and his his father actually had had a fiddle at home and could knock a few tunes out of it, um, not many, but had a few. And we had that fiddle, so he was delighted when I said I wanted to play the fiddle because like, he's like, "Oh, great!" So he got his his father's fiddle out and mm-hmm. gave it to me. And it, it was well, actually, I learned in a half size first, but he had the he had the full size for when I was able to 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 sort of stretch and reach it. You know, so nice uh, have it. yeah, I haven't got it in Australia, but it's it's at home. It's, it's a little bit. It's 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 a it's a lovely fiddle. I played it for years, but it's a little bit. Um, slightly kind of harsh tone at times yeah but it's great it, to have it still. yeah gorgeous to have yeah. it and it was a really good starting like to have a good good fiddle start on um, but yeah so he, he kind of sourced it he did a bit of digging around and found a teacher for me in Rathcool which is not too far from where I'm from and uh, yeah so Mary Greavy, and I started going to her and then all my siblings in turn started going to her so yeah and, and
0: did, did your mum play as well?
3: No. My, my, well, my mom actually, in, in in more recent years, she started taking, taking concertina lessons, but she kind of, she's kicking herself now. She's like, I was driving you lot to lessons every week. Why did I go in <laughs> and get a lesson myself? It never occurred to her. It was, right. I, I suppose mothers do this, parents do this, but uh, she would bring us all to our fiddle lesson every Friday. And, uh, you know, it was, at one point there would have been, I mean, there's six of us, but at that time there's probably three or four of us getting our lessons on the same day. So she'd be there for a couple of hours. And we'd Just go home, but she could have easily popped in, sat in, got a lesson. Just, I suppose, you know, busy with lots of kids, didn't mm-hmm. think of it, but uh, always enjoyed it and loved us doing it. And it was really supportive and was the one that got us to practice and to, to focus and knuckle down, you know. Yeah, yeah. Where,
0: where were you growing up then?
3: Uh, Selbridge, County Kildare, right?
0: Okay, yeah. and and both your mum and dad from there,
3: my father grew up in Selbridge on the main street, and my mum was from Clind- uh, Clindalkin in Dublin, right? Right. yeah. Right and uh,
0: what what did your dad do in snowbridge
3: um so his father well his father was uh well his father owned a, a kind of petrol station and car dealership but was also a, a td <laughs> so he's a for a while he was member of parliament in 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 dublin so he's a sort of local politician as well as as being you know a local businessman so my father grew up kind of in the business but also uh i suppose would've been very community minded as well mm-hmm. Um and yeah so that that was what they did
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what's you like i asked that because i've uh, been from drada you kind mm. of we went up to dublin mm. well damn, what we used to say up and then there's like the lucan and selbridge and um the slip they're all it's this kind of like i don't know what it is for i don't want to say the word void but maybe just a void in my mind and I, I know nothing about that
3: yeah. area I mean, uh, Selbridge is gorgeous. It's it's a very historic town. There's a lot to it. I mean, um, the Cast- Castletown House, big, beautiful old house. Um, I think it was built in the 1700s. So kind of fairly, you know, uh, idyllic, pastoral kind of uh, area. Um, not not much music, actually. So Kildare wouldn't be known for traditional music at all. But uh, the town is gorgeous. And I think the, they say the first point of Guinness was brewed in Selbridge as well. Really, uh, Arthur Guinness is buried up the road there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, what yeah. what kind
1: of place was it to grow up?
3: Um, basically a very traditional Irish town. You know, we all went to the convent primary school. Um, it was yeah, kind of a very nice kind of gentle upbringing. Yeah, kind of pretty town, nice people. But uh, yeah, nothing, 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 nothing fancy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I no, I, I think. Um, yeah, well, I I wonder about that part of the world and and how I feel about about Dublin and been from Drogheda, where kind of you're close enough to to feel like you're part of the Dublin culture but yeah. you're, you're you're far far enough away where you're actually yeah. not so you're kind of in a no man's land
3: yeah we didn't feel like we were Dublin I think if you're in Lucan you probably felt more like you're in Dublin but well, uh, Lucan's not that far away right no it's only stones throw. but I think Selbridge and Slip would have a um, yeah have a certain kind of atmosphere I think cause there's a lot of old buildings and old farmhouses and things it has an older vibe yeah and the Liffey going through it as well. Mm. But, so, yeah. Were
1: there any sessions happening when you are going up that you remember?
3: Um, n- at first, no. I mean, we probably, in a way, that, that was the start of music in Salbridge. I'm sure there was years and years ago, maybe there was music there. But um, my father asked Mary Greavy, my, my fiddle teacher, to come and teach lessons in Salbridge. Because um, he was involved in a large community centre there in Salbridge that he'd helped kind of set up. It was a, an old mill, that, a huge mill that the, the, a community council kind of bought up and and... Tried to kind of set up as a centre for you know sports and music and things for the local community, and it's still going today. So, um, Mary came there to do lessons, and so it was only a handful of us at the start. My, my parents got a few other parents interested, and um, and then we started, and then that kind of grew. And then I suppose, um, League Slip had a bit of music happening, and some um, some children playing there as well. So, over the last 15-20 years quite a lot of music has grown up in, in Salbridge League Slip and there's quite a lot of good musicians in that area now but it was when we started there was nobody really we had, we'd have to go to we'd have to drive to get to a session yeah. which we did um, uh, so the nearest one that we used to go to was in Allenwood uh, which is just out beyond Prosperous kind of beyond Clane so maybe 20 miles away
1: So when your um, dad playing whistle was was that a solo venture then for a while or was there a bit of music when he was a lad?
3: Um, I think he'd a few tunes from His father, like he used to play the Blackbird, um, that tune, and uh, but then he, as I said, he'd gone to he would have had the Chieftains records and learned a few tunes off that. So the, I always remember him like one of my earliest musical memories was the um, tune called the Rights of Man. Um, He he played that on the whistle or uh, the King of the Fairies um, tunes like that. Uh, So he hadn't got a huge repertoire, but he'd play them around the house all the time, and he'd always be whistling as well. So playing the whistle and whistling. So it was always music. Those tunes were always kind of around the house, but he never, he was very busy. He worked too hard probably and uh, didn't ever get to extend his own repertoire as much as ours. So once we started learning, we fast kind of surpassed him and he never, he never kind of kept up. He could have, but I'm sure he would have loved to, but he was just, he was a hard worker, always out working. So... Is, yeah. he, is he still still around? No, sadly no. He he's he's died about seven or eight years ago, uh, which is yeah, which was a bit of a blow, but um 'cause he was only sixty four. But yeah. But yeah, I was kind of reflecting kind of, you know, when you're kind of coming to do a chat like this, like, you know, the the times that were important. And he was he was a huge force behind our music in the sense of like like he'd drive me every Friday or Saturday night to a session and we just drive for, you know, 15, 20 twenty kilometres and have a chat and kinda of go to a session. He'd just sit there with his pint or whatever and I played the play the tunes and uh, yeah, he just, he was so into it, loved listening and loved, loved that I was part of it. Like he mm-hmm. got, he really, he, a, he really, uh, he, he, he really enjoyed the fact that we were in the middle of it, you know.
0: Were, you, were your other siblings going as well? In,
3: yeah, um, at, at times. I mean, I was, I was kind of. There's six, six of you? Six or? of us, yeah. Um, so, and we all played the fiddle and then as we came up along and um, Ruth, whose number four um she took up the concertina she was the first one to do something that wasn't the fiddle but um yeah so we used to go to this session at Allenwood and he'd drive me out he kind of heard about it and br- started to bring me along that's where I learned my repertoire of the sort of standard Irish tunes we go to that session and they were it was out so Allenwood is like a it's out in the middle of the bog in kind of the Kildare Offaly border and it's quite you know f- sort of I won't say bleak but it's quite it's that flat bogland midlands kind of feel to it and so we drive there in the evening and it'd be getting dark and you're kind of crossing over the bog, you know, to get to this little, like, this kind of tiny town that had a pub uh, and undertakers and a church and a small primary school and that's it. Um, But this pub, Larkins, um, had a session that was gone for years. It's gone now, sadly, but um, there was a bunch of musicians and they were sort of, a a lot of them, people came to work for Borden from different places around the country and um, there was a few Clare musicians who were working there or had worked there and then kind of settled there. So they were older, older fellas. Um. So th- it, was, it was. It was. I often la- think about. It it was funny. I took it for granted at the time. These were these guys were in their seventies. They were like my best mates for like years. And I just go along and I play tunes with them. And I learned. As I said, learned all the the repertoire from them. So there was like the, There's Billy and Benny Birmingham. And uh, so they played um fiddle and accordion respectively and then there was Jack Donahue he was from Clare and he played the whistle and he was he was wild and just the best crack and um, then there was Paddy Smith who was sort of the major d and he he played the bar on and kind of sang a few songs and got everyone going um, and then Jimmy Kenny was um he was just this man who's come in and listen. He knew all the tunes. He couldn't play. He could sing. But he knew every tune and he would listen to you intently. And when he was there, everyone played better because he was just, he was totally locked on to what you were doing. And if you played well, he'd just look at you and you knew you'd done well. Like, yeah. So it was amazing. You know, I just took it for granted. You're a kid, you rock up and you go, oh, this is like normal. And I did it for years. And then after a few a few years in, they started giving me a few bob to do um, the, the session on the on Saturday night. I think it was 20 pounds when pounds for pounds, not euros. Mm-hmm. And uh like it was it was great for a for a fourteen, fifteen year old to have a, a gig, you know, it's like, wow. So um but it was great. They were they were like honestly they were like we just had the best crack and they were just my like, mates for years, you know, took it for granted and yeah, it's mm-hmm. funny, like, you know,
0: and all men.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean there'd be other people coming in and out of some like really good musicians. So um um, it was Maura Heinen and, um she was she had won the All Ireland fiddle at one stage. she was, she was a really good fiddle player would come in and out. Um um, who else oh there was, there was yeah there was a whole it, it, random people were sort of just wandering out very unexpectedly at times because they would have connections to the, the the Claire angle and I think there was a a Kelly band member used to come in now and get and see new Jack and different things right. would happen um, but yeah week to week it was on the same crew and it's all, often the same tunes so it's you know it kind you got to learn all the tunes really well because it, it just had your the sets yeah. and you just played them they'd be Great crack, though. There's a, you know, a draw every week through one of those little tombola things with the, uh-huh. the, the draws. Yeah. So there's a draw every week. I don't even know what we used to win, but every week there'd be a draw, and yeah, the crack around that. And every every week, Jimmy Kenny, the, the guy who used to listen, used to say, No matter who, when he go, Swindle, swindle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great. And then the, the teen sandwiches would come out at halftime in the pub, you know, with the, the potato crisps and the lot. And yeah, yeah it was great.
0: So <clears throat> uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who has a sort of teenage kid and they were saying you know there were times when they have always hated driving like driving from pillar to post mm. with, with their child right to mm. take them to things but that now that they're teenagers this is like the time when they can sort of sequester them in the car mm. almost away from social media mm. and you have this time I mean yeah. I have a feeling of like you having this time with your dad yeah right and that's, that's yeah
3: I, th- I think like we just got you know you don't even notice it but you're just getting really close because you have this as you say sort of enclosed time that is just sort of every week and it just yeah you'd be chatting about everything kind of from we talk a lot of politics even when I was small because he was into that and I, I always had a, a thing about politics too so we chat about politics we chat about music and god knows what we must have had a lot, a lot of time to talk but yeah i think that really brought us together a lot and then on the way home you'd be talking about the session and the tunes and
1: well, yeah it's rare to have shared friends with you yeah with your dad. The parents yeah. yeah
3: and also like i found um that as, for a foundation as a young person like i've never i've never seen the um the difference in age Like I've always been able To relate well To people of all ages Particularly like Much older people Um, I, I don't even There's no I don't even see Them as older people If you know what I mean as Because from that age I was Just mates with people Who were, mm-hmm. were in their 70s Like you know you know Much older people And uh, you know that, that sort of stayed with me So it, it was a great thing to, to For as a child to, to experience Maybe people in the past Had more of that When they grew up in You know Larger families and communities And that was normal mm-hmm. But it, I, I know a lot of younger people Don't necessarily get to just hang out and have a laugh with older people completely completely. on the level you know so yeah definitely
0: do you do you think about your dad when you're playing
3: yeah yeah a lot yeah i do Yeah, um especially those those tunes that when they when they relate to certain moments in our childhood when we were kind of going around as a family and stuff definitely yeah um yeah it's it's uh there's a sadness in that you know because it was it was yeah he was kind of always the he was a presence there especially when we were like, going to the flag hill and competing and, himself and my and mum would be there in the audience and you'd be you know looking down and you know that was yeah it was it was really big so yeah I do I mean, not, I mean, don't always think about him every time I play no, him I but uh, yeah. yeah definitely definitely come into my mind quite a lot it's just yeah. it's
0: it's um, it's just I, I find it very it's like a very sweet resource to have right to, yeah that you have the music as a way of I don't know, accessing uh, yeah. kind of your memories of that person. I don't know. Yeah, but,
3: well, I think actually yeah. that's no, that's absolutely true. Like I know like the tunes that he loved or the tunes that he used to play, you know, if I play them, they're an absolute, they're straight to the source, you know, and um, that's not even melancholy. It's just, it's just, it's very real and present, you know, it's just, yeah. suddenly there's no there's no barrier there at all. So, yeah, so if I play, you know, The rights of Man, as I mentioned, that tune or um, his favourite tune was uh, The Old Grey Goose, I couldn't play it for a few years after he died. To be fair, <laughs> it's like too much, but uh, but now now I do, and yeah, it's 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 great. It's it's such a yeah, it's like a, they're precious things that you can like just I suppose like touchstones. You can just you've got them there, and you have them always with you, which is yeah, it is amazing actually. Yeah. yeah. Do you
0: fancy doing another chin? Just yeah. Now? Um,
3: yeah. How's the hands? Yeah, they're getting a bit warmer. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see now.
1: You think you would you could play the. Was it The Great Grease Oh, uh, no, no. I know.
3: I should have polished that one up. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, let's see. Yeah, I might play um, a couple of reels that I used to play that with my friends going, growing up in the, when I was in my teens, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, I'll try, try and give these a go.
1: pure goosebumps so good <laughs> if they were a set of tunes that you would have played with your mates growing up when you were a teen did, did that mean you were saved from like the boys on and the take that's and the prodigies or or not
3: um, pretty much <laughs> <laughs> yeah Um, I think I was lucky enough when I started so when we started kind of socialising and going to um, going to things like the Willie Clancy Week and the Flag Hale, um we began to kind of meet other families, other people our age playing music. And um, yeah, I, I kind of I was lucky enough to fall into a group of musicians of my own age who just um, I'm not sure who, who taught whom or how we navigated our way. But we sort of collectively went on this path that sort of st- has stayed with me since then, really. So we just um, I don't know we had this instinct towards like the really old stuff. And if anything, we were pretty like a bit too purist i'd say at certain points although probably no bad thing we would just begin to finding the old stuff so like the like the pork o'keefe the old pork o'keefe tunes um old recordings kind of recordings that you couldn't get like we were totally like nerdy but like hipster totally, before hipster kind I of think. yeah um but I, th- I think we just had a good instinct for what where what the real stuff was so the 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 group that we so we were mostly fiddle players so um Myself and my sister, Maeve, were kind of, the. we were kind of, we'd kind of played together a lot. And then my friend, Ethnany Kohan and then her family, um, they were all fine fiddle players. And then uh, Cueven O'Reilly was a really good friend. So we, and then Oshin McDermott, who's from Sligo, uh, was kind of joined the mix a bit later. But we kind of we all sort of fell in together. I suppose we were 13 or 14. And we just go, we just always hook up at all the festivals. So like Milton Malbay or Drumshambo or whatever. Um, and this went on for years and we just, yeah, we just, um, I suppose f- f- we'd find tunes and share them. Cuevian in particular was just amazing, even at that point. I mean, he's well known now in, in lots of ways, uh, in the gloaming and different things. But And as a solo musician, but um, he always had this instinct for finding amazing tunes and sharing them. And that, I think, was a catalyst for us to do the same, um, and I was always, as that, at that age, I was, I I would love to find, love to find old recordings of old vinyl records, different things, and have a, an old version of a tune that nobody else had, and just sharing it, um, yeah. So just finding that that real ancient stuff, kind of going beyond the sort of the the, the trad super bands, and, and that that has its place too. And I always enjoyed, you know, at a festival gig, it's great to have a high octane trad band, but finding those old recordings of the masters. It was just like a real thrill when we were that age
1: what was your process how did you find them
3: oh um, all sorts of ways I mean we'd we'd go to, we'd go to festivals with some of these older musicians who were still playing um, and just record them and then learn off that um, I suppose yeah kind of, old tapes people would share things i mean we had had some vinyl at home um but yeah you kind of get like my teacher mary grievy gave me a vinyl of paddy coloran like when i was 13 and i, I mean <laughs> it sounds so 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 strange i mean as you say Boyzone was going on in the background but i was had this paddy coloran of vinyl um yeah and then um i'm trying to remember because it's funny everything was changing technology so it would have been tapes early on and just recording things and going to recitals and recording things learning them but then CDs came along got a bit easy Clad Records was a great resource in Dublin mm. so I remember just going Just that was just heaven to go in there and pick up a few CDs right. um, you could browse and yeah so I had a lot of CDs that I used to just go and buy there and um, yeah it's funny because now it's, you, know, you almost forget how you used to do it when you can just hop onto the internet it's funny, now isn't it? Yeah. but that, yeah I would have kind of been sourcing them probably Clad Records mainly um, would have been the go-to place,
0: and and aside from the the sort of inspiration of somebody coming to you and say, you know, one of your mates saying, oh, "I find this," like, what was really motivating you? What was the attraction for you of finding something? Uh,
3: yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think uh, you talked about goosebumps earlier. Like, uh, I think there is like moments in, in Irish music and maybe folk music from other places too, but like there there isn't these magic. It's just these little, little bits of magic you find here and there just you know and you just know there's something different about this tune this way of playing this tune or uh, a version of a tune and just the way the notes are or the way the the person plays it or something you just find these moments and you go that's that's a magic one and it's not every tune I mean and uh, there's some tunes I love to play but they don't have that little magic thing I, I think I just had a sense of that from early on just that there was this magic in it and it's you know, it's not very tangible. It's hard to put your finger mm. on. But quite often, if you're playing with another musician or you talk to somebody about it, they'll know they go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean, you know, Um there's just be a certain note in a tune that just is that wistful note or whatever. So I was always seeking out those kinds of tunes that had that little moment or that little that hair in the back of your neck moment. And I think I just yeah, as a kid, I just I just from a young youngish age, I would have had that instinct for those tunes yeah. Um or those those players maybe as well. Um, so kind of I think quite early on I, I kind of found uh, music of Paddy Canny and the music of Tommy Potts and those were two that I was like, Oh yeah, that really was the the portal to the yeah. the, the the magic magic place. And I think I think a lot of it is as well, I think if you're like growing up in Ireland and travelling around, I mean we, we used to go on the Shannon a lot, my father had a barge, so we go down the Shannon a lot. Um you'd be in sort of wild places, you know, and uh, like it sounds probably overly sentimental, but I do feel like the, the music and the land and like the mountains, the sea, the people, like it really all connected. And, you know, sometimes the, I don't know, some of the tunes just really give you that sense of the the, the roots in Ireland. Like you really, it's just almost like it's in the bedrock or something, you know? Um, so uh, the spirit of the place or whatever. And so the certain tunes the music, I've, I've always felt that just do that for me and maybe for other people too. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting one. The, the traveling to Ireland, like from for me anyway, really only appreciating this music since I've lived outside the country. Mm. There's there's a there's a strange urge for me to to go back and listen mm. to music in in the setting. I got to listen to it in in the flower last year, and there's there's an intangible aspect to it that really it's the it's the final. Mm. slot and the jigsaw puzzle of mm-hmm. it, it all starts to make sense it's funny i was even just watching um Cormac mcbegley's he did a live facebook thing and he he introduced it by talking about the mountains behind him mm. and then he sat in his caravan and, and as sun sunset and just the set and setting for the tunes mm. he was playing it just it made so much sense yeah now, and that could have been i don't know i would probably be on the cynical side of things that could have been felt very ham-fisted but it just felt so natural and uh, i don't know i love hearing that kind of music in that yeah. in that setting
3: i think that uh, there's that the music there's a there's a wildness to it like it's and it's it's an, a rawness and an honesty to it like and so some of it is so old you know so, uh, literally as old as the hills and i think you know when you're in the right sort of state of mind and especially if you're kind of like out in the countryside or somewhere you can just yeah i think you can feel it you know it's i don't think it's being overly romantic or anything but i think it just it just simply is you Mm. know yeah the music belongs there and when you play it or hear it played well you you know you can connect right back into that energy whatever it is you know
1: just when you were talking about like kind of crate digging and, and finding these these tunes too with your your group of mates was that almost like a was there a bit of not competitive but a bit of um the 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 rarer and the better, the more obscure, the tune that you could find, and, and sh- you sharing that kind of stuff.
3: Oh yeah, you know, you just love to share like, a, an, like an amazing like find. If you found a, a, a yeah a great version or an, an, or a rare tune or a rare recording, yeah, it'd be you would love to share it. Because then
1: that would have been you would have had to probably take Because I'm thinking of it's whatever nineties and mm-hmm. then that's 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 bringing it home making a mixtape yeah, yeah. Re- transferring it waiting for the next time you see someone hand it off
3: a bit of that or just yeah or, or just playing it like in the group you just kind of say oh I've got this lovely new tune of course you um, can play an instrument yeah that, that does help <laughs> yeah that. there so, is yeah. that uh, yeah. aspect yes um, and like Qu- was always a bit more like he'd go deeper than the rest of us and he was more, I think like he was an example to us about you know and, and later on like he was working in the traditional music archives and would you know kind of find little that's gems cheating. that is kind of yeah but you find <laughs> gems and you just oh like you got, like things that like nobody probably heard for years yeah. and yeah you know just amazing
0: that that's a fascinating notion the idea that um that n- maybe nobody has listened to, to this thing for yeah. 20 years it's you yeah. know like um i used to work with some oral history stuff and when i was in the states and quite often there'd be oral history material that would just be stored somewhere mm. and no one would listen to it mm. for 30 years it's mm. a piece of quarter inch tape with somebody's voice on yeah. it right and yeah. uh, that just bl- I mean that's a time machine yeah you know yeah. you just this um, yeah. voice of someone from even if it's only yeah. 30 years ago right Yeah,
1: so was that, um, oh, it was that Oh, he was a Shanisky, Shanisky and he was talking about he was collecting and he was on the Blind Boy podcast and he said a lovely thing about the stories that he has collected and he's got I think hundreds of thousands of tapes definitely tens of thousands of tapes of all stories and as you said, was th- those men and women are not dead until those recordings are gone. Yeah. Mm. And th- that has stayed in me. I love that. I- that is such yeah. a beautiful idea. And it's the same with the, with the music, yeah. too. Right? And
3: even if they are gone, if someone's sat down and really learned it, like, you know, diligently, really listened, then, it's, then on it goes again, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I, so for instance, like the, on uh, Kosh the way I play that, um, Okay, I've, I heard that from PJ Hayes and Martin Hayes at that point in time in Milltown Malbay all those years ago, 1992 I think it was. Um, I played it at home. My son now plays it on on the banjo because that's the, that's the instrument he's gravitated towards a and he plays it like. I mean he's. I mean a banjo is very different to a fiddle, but he plays it in a really kind of groovy, thoughtful way that. I know it's probably because of the way I play it on the fiddle. So he's picked it. he's no idea why he's playing it like that. But yeah. I know why he's playing it like that. You know, he's never heard the original recording. So on it goes, you it's know. A of,
1: like a lifelong game of telephone. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. And like I'm sure someone will pick it up off him. So yeah, it's it's just the echoes that kind of keep on going down. Yeah. I'm sure PJ and Martin had heard that from, you know, they probably, I'm sure they've learned it straight from Junior Korean. But you know, it's sort of, yeah, on mm. it goes. You know? mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Would you like to do another tune? Yeah, all right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I um, might go for a slow air about um, Red Hugh O'Donnell the um, one of the Irish chieftains probably back in the 1600s I think around the Battle of Consale time and I think the lament was to do with the fact that they fought the army of Queen Elizabeth I I I think and then didn't win, Battle of Consale and off he went and I think um, I think he was, was it O'Neill was the other chieftain that he was and, the, and the, I think this was the French or the Spanish. Anyway, there's a whole load of them involved. But anyway, they lost, and this was one of the laments for you know the loss of the Irish way of life, the loss of the Irish chieftains, and and is this uh, the,
0: flight the, hmm? is that the flight of the earls? Is that I the, flight of the earls? I
3: don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll I think check on so. my I'll check on so. my
0: potted history of uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it is So yeah, Red, Red Hugh O'Donnell. So chapter, this yeah, yeah, so
3: the the tune would be synonymous. it's played that this slow air is it's kind of local to Kerry, funnily enough, but it's about an Ulster chieftain I guess but I think it's it kind of that um lament for that the old Irish way of life being gone now that the they'd finally lost control to the English and then the Irish way of life being kind of yeah lost as the chieftains left anyway so I learned this from uh Dennis Murphy
0: That was amazing. <laughs> so you learned that from Dennis Murphy?
3: Yeah. Right? There's um, a few recordings of him, Porga Keefe and Julia Clifford. Um, sort of old Kerry fiddle music. Nice. Right. There's a few fairly wild slow airs on there that right. they play, so that was one of them.
0: <laughs> you mentioned earlier on about um, competing in the fly. So when you were growing up and you're playing, before you start going to those sessions, how do you end up getting to the point where you're competing in the fly?
3: Some kids start very young, like be the first age group is under twelve. And then there's like twelve to 15, 15 to eighteen, and senior. That they're the sort of age group. So some kids start playing at the age of seven or eight, um, competing in these competing in the in the, yeah. in the competition side of it. Yeah, I mean the flag, the flat itself is a big it's a bit like the the uh, the, the kind of Willie Clancy Week or one of these big festivals. It's a big gathering, really. But in the middle of it are these competitions. Now, there's always this argument whether competition is really you know a a valid or true measure of music and you know I I think what's the answer uh, (laughs) oh yeah good good, good question (laughs) um like I I think it's it's good in certain ways in the sense that at the age of 11 or 12 it does focus the mind on on making you really you know work on your music and um achieve a certain level of proficiency that maybe you wouldn't if you didn't have an incentive maybe it's personality types as well I mean you know I was a very fairly driven child so um it was something to aim for at that stage I mean the downside is you know it's a bit artificial to say okay first second and third place and you know according to who and what you know it's it's a difficult one but at the same time when you listen to you know if you sit into these competitions quite often you will hear an outstanding musician where it's, it's pretty obvious that they're they're the best now they might not be the best because they're technically the best and that's where you know the adjudication comes in. Well, these adjudicators are usually very good musicians themselves, and often are looking for somebody with a bit of soul or a bit of style. So it, it's a very um, subjective thing. Um, so it can be a harsh thing for kids too. It can be a bit you know disheartening if you put your heart and soul into something and then you you don't get placed and it's you know you have to wait a whole other other year. But um, but I think it was good as a, as a way of at that age focusing the minds, getting you to. Kind of meet other people, maybe performing in bands or mm-hmm. groups, duets, trios, and things like that, collaborating. Um, but yeah, so my, my parents and my teacher, Mary Greavy, um they didn't kind of want me to get into that scene <laughs> until I was a bit older. So the first fly I played when I was, tw- I was 12, actually. So yeah, um, and I was, yeah, I'd really no idea what it was at that point until, you know, rocked up and it was like, oh, right, it's a very formal kind of situation and quite nerve wracking. I mean, what is it like? Um adjudicator sitting well they usually had it in schools. did so. it like this yeah a bit like this <laughs> yeah um, but less frightening a bit yeah no like it, it was Um, you, you often so there's a county flat and then there'd be a provincial flat and then there's an all-Ireland so you have to go through the, the, the process and the first and second place get get onto the, the next round you know um, but there'd be loads of kids in each you know each age group each competition and certain like the fiddle competition was always a big big one because it was highly compete, competed and you know um, yeah so it'd be you often like lo- a local school will be taken over by the Flaff for the day and there'd be a competition in each room an adjudicator in each room and a, a little person helping them out like a sort of a, a steward person helping them and they'd be taking their notes and listening and each child would play a couple of tunes I mean there's adults I mean there's over 18 competitions too but um, you'd play whatever it is, so it'd be like two tunes when you're under 12 usually a jig and a reel and that'd be it and the the audience is there, the families and the other competitors are in the room and everyone claps and then the next one's up and at the end, you know, they, they stand up and give us their adjudication. Um I guess sweaty palms are listening. I, I'll tell you, sweaty, I'm sweaty palms thinking about it because when you're 12, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um Especially when, you know, you really want it or like, you know, it's kind of, you're ho- hoping to get through the Kildare Fla this year and hoping to get through the Leinster Fla. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was a great, I mean, the good thing you would see amazing musicians and get exposure to it's like oh like that that's what you can do you know you'd see people playing and it would make you strive to be better as well i suppose um
0: did you find it quite easy then to motivate yourself even before you actually got there you you mentioned that as a as a child you were you really applied yourself, like you yeah.
3: I mean, I was always a bit of a type A, so I, so yeah, so my mother, you know, she brings the lessons every every Friday as with the rest of them. But I'd, yeah, I'd always be very diligent, learn my tune off perfectly every week from Mary, and come back with no pit pat. And um so I, I kind of, yeah, it was uh, the 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 flowers was a natural progression, but yeah. What was the question again? Well, <laughs>
0: you mentioned to me when we chatted before that um, that that held you back a bit until you were oh, ready, yeah. and. So what happens when you go?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah, probably, to your first yeah so like i the, the kildare flower was pretty small because there wasn't that many musicians in kildare so you kind of that was that was at that point i mean it's probably bigger now but that time it was very easy so I got through that and brilliant yeah it's like <laughs> yeah i remember being like wow i just want a thing like yeah. you know and then but i went on to the what a the, great way to start yeah and I, but i know i had no idea mm-hmm. like it was, it was all such a whole new thing to me and then i went to the kildare the, Le, the leinster flower which was on a mount rats that year and um you know, then it's like, oh, they can listen to the other kids. And it's like, oh my God, these kids are amazing. And I I would never, you know, I'd never seen this before. Um but I went went got up, played my went up, got a, played by two tunes and uh it was uh Seamus Connolly's Jig and the Glen of Aherlow. And um anyway, um there was a recall for first place. So <laughs> I had to go get up and if there's a recall, you're supposed to play a different tune, but I didn't know the the etiquette. So I just played the Glen of Aherlow again. Um So I'm sure that was Drawing lots of comments In the audience We're just playing The same (laughs) tune again (laughs) But I had no idea So just play it again Anyway uh, But anyway I won And uh, I remember Just like just turning around and just my, my father behind the, in the row behind me just like tears streaming down his face, you know, because like he'd, he'd been going to the Flacchio you know, since he was, you know, since he was in his late teens kind of, and, uh, you know, to see his own little girl just suddenly win the Leinster flag. And I was just like jaw on the ground, oh my God. You know? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I got to go to the All-Ireland in my first year and that was amazing. But, uh Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think you do get a bit swept up in the competitions for a while. Like it becomes a bit of a probably unhealthy focus. There's probably times in my teens where I was just like, "Oh, gotta win," and you know, or like you really push yourself. And I got placed second in the All Ireland one year, and but it wasn't. It's like, oh, I just wanted to win it, you know? Seconds. Yeah, again, you know. But uh, reflecting back now, of course, you realize, you know. It, that that's I mean it's, competitions are all well and good but you know you, you, you can get a bit over focused on that too and I probably did for a few years <laughs> but um but do you, yeah do you
0: know what do you know at, at that sort of 12 year old level um when you win the Leinster flat, do you know what the adjudicator was hearing in you do you have a sense now as an older person of what
3: yeah I mean he actually um I think his name was Seamus O'Carroll I, I never really knew him he's he was an older gentleman and um I'm a fiddle player I think but uh he they'd quite often they'd come down a- afterwards just to have a little chat to you which is nice or, or they'd give a few words and they were kind of explaining their thinking when they were adjudicating and yeah he just said oh you know I had a lovely old style like it was a lovely kind of like kind of yeah old-fashioned style or old uh, kind of style um which you know I think he's made a comment like you don't you know hear in like many 12 year olds which is fair enough." And, like subsequently, I mean, I used to, for a few years, I did a bit of adjudicating just if I was asked at a, at a flower. Um, and you do sometimes, you hear that old music coming out of a child and it's like, whoa, you know. Right. Um, you know, you can, it's almost like this a this, this soulfulness that some kids seem, some people seem to have, some kids mm-hmm. seem to have just from an early age maybe. And you could seek children that are, and adults who are, are very technically adept, but then you hear someone who's got the, the soul and it's like, oh. You know, and it's, it might not be as technical, but it's got the, that magic, you know. And yeah. um, but I'm I'm not saying my music was magical, but it was I think I had a bit of a I think it may, it may be kind of locked into some of Mary's style, the Common style that she had and listen, I think having list, I was listening to things. So um, I'd say a lot of children that age maybe wouldn't have been listening to as much of other musicians at that point. So I was probably absorbing a bit of some of the styles, maybe the Clara style a little bit as well. And um that was in my that was sort of beginning to filter into my music. Maybe yeah. that's what was being picked up on, you know, um, but yeah, what
0: I, I'm wondering about the when you're talking about those styles like the Ruscommon and, and Claire and so on, um, is the Claire style taking that as a broad sort of category? Is that more accessible somehow to people? In a general sense, than say something like Russ Common style or the Ulster flute playing style, or yeah. do you know what I mean? Because, because I hear so many people refer to it, and obviously there are very influential players who are responsible for that in part. Mm. But is there something about that style that yeah. is particularly accessible?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I always naturally gravitate to it. Like of all of them, I I think um, I th- I think it's got a bit. I don't know like it's got a sort of a lilt to it it's got um it's it's not it's not too fast like you can hear what you can hear what's being said in the music a bit more maybe it's, the phrasing is a bit more interesting and um you know I suppose other maybe other areas are more driven by uh, I don't know what I'm L- kind of getting lost in this one no <laughs> no
0: actually but what you yeah. say there about about what was that you just said uh, about um you can hear what's being said in the music yeah Right. There there is something in um in that style of playing that is I don't know if it's closer to speech, but there's yeah, a there's an echo a, of speech in it in I think the that's same way as in certain other kinds of music that you hear. Like I, I remember listening the first time I heard Kind of Blue by Miles Davis and the the, the tune on their uh, flamenco sketches which is this long tune and the phrasing in there is mm. so speech like at times yeah. in the, in the saxophone parts and yeah. and the piano parts it just absolutely yeah. blew my mind the the it's not speech but it's somewhere it's telling a story there there's is. a
3: narrative in it or something yeah i think that's right and um i like i love listening to like i'd I love love playing you know like listening or playing Kerry tunes but my, my i'm i'm more drawn to the, the that sort of east Clare way of playing i think it's that i think you know, you listen to a Paddy, like listen to Paddy Canny playing, and it's just, yeah, it is like it's like speech, it's like a voice, it's it's up and down, and it's in and out, and it's a bit wild, and it, sometimes the the rhythm and the, the the tempo changes, and that's okay, like it it'll kind of get a bit faster and a bit slower, so it's almost a more alive to me anyway, um, yeah, so I think that's something in the in the Clare music that that has that that's that's not necessarily as audible in other styles to me anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Did you? Want to? Me on stalls? No. no, 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 no.
0: <laughs>
3: well, well then. So
0: when you um, are going through your teenage years and then you know you're doing schoolwork and you're studying, um, was was it was it easy to keep the music going while you were also doing academic stuff?
3: Um, to a point. I mean, I think in, in secondary school, yeah, like the, the balance was pretty okay. We get away at the weekends. We go to festivals and. Um, probably early on in, in uni I managed to keep the balance pretty well um, and uh, as, as time went on it probably got harder I mean I did medicine so it was really full-on and probably took over <laughs> my life for a while I I, I've, I've never stopped playing but I've kind of gone through patches where I you know play less than I'd like but no I, I think in my in my teens and in my early 20s I played a lot and didn't miss an opportunity to get away and play music with my friends. And I was lucky when I was on campus in in, uh, in Dublin, in, in Trinity. Um, uh, Cueveen was on campus too. So we'd, I'd pop around and he'd have he he'd a few, like a new Padre or the tune or something he'd have found. And he'd we'd go over and uh, myself and Maeve would be around as well. We'd go over and listen uh, to that. So there was always, we had that connection on campus, even though I wasn't playing much of my music in Dublin. Like we'd go away t- to play the music mm-hmm. wherever the festivals were on and stuff. But uh Um, And what was
0: Dublin like for you coming from Kildare? What was it like?
3: um, Yeah, I mean, it was... I I mean, I enjoyed... Going to going to uh, college there, but I suppose we didn't spend huge amounts of time in. Like, I I go home at the weekends a lot, and actually, I I should say, like, we a lot of our music was just played at home. Um, like, we'd go to each other's houses. That was huge. So you know, the festivals would be during the summer, and the rest of the year we'd have tunes either in our house, in the O'Callahan's house over in Kilcock, or we'd go over to uh, to Thomas Quivine's house. There was other 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 families around that would have tunes, and we'd have a session. And then later on, Ruth started going to um, Constantine lessons with Michael O'Reilly over in Meath. and um, kind of began to kind of hang out with them a bit more and there'd be tunes uh, with them as well. So the circle grew and sort of a a bit of a Meath-Kildare connection began to happen in the last, it it felt like to us anyway, that when I was very small, there wasn't much around. But by the time I was in my 20s, there was a lot more happening and we were kind of mixing with a slightly wider crew and Mm -hmm. there'd be more tunes like at home and and people gathering to play tunes in the house and a bit of dancing as well. So it was a bit more... Alive then, yeah. I, I mean, I've always uh, tunes in, that, in people's houses are always the the best, you know. You know, because you just get stuck until four a.m. or whatever, and right. yeah, keep playing. So yeah. yeah,
0: I just said right there as if I knew what you're talking. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear you say it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely missing out <laughs> <laughs> But is that
1: is that is that the appeal? Is it the length, <laughs> or is it just the atmosphere that the um, the homely atmosphere that's created in a in a home rather than a pub? Yeah,
3: I mean. Yeah, I mean, you get great sessions in the pubs too, but um, I guess yeah, you just kind of get into a groove and a, you know, the low lamplight and glass of wine and you know, just keep playing tunes around and around. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. bit of crack. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There,
0: there is something about playing tunes around and around, right? And that's, yeah. that's quite an interesting um thing that um, like beyond the general. Sort of twice round a tune mm. and move on to the next one, or mm. three times round a tune and move on to the next one. Mm. It, what happens when you go over something over and over and over again?
1: Does like, that happen more at a, in a at a house session than it would in a pub? Does that? Well, I guess there's more there's more freedom because yeah. you're just kind of I think you do bit, rolling yeah. through.
0: And mm-hmm. I, and I do think of it in yeah. in terms of when you talk about uh, Quineen's playing. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the things that they do in the gloaming are yeah. kind of they go around Yeah, yeah, yeah around and, like, and
3: yeah I mean we would that group of, of us like ball playing the fiddle we'd play tunes like particularly there's, there's certain types of tunes that are uh, kind of I think older and simpler and more open and very rhythmic kind of like, Yeah, you know, I played earlier on um, Rolling in the Ryegrass kind of So sort of, they're very very old tunes you know um, and they're, they're not they're not technically fancy but they lend themselves just to rhythmically being played again and again and, and you start finding the the nuance of them, it's just, uh, you know, you kind of going a bit deeper into it. And I think, yeah, we, we as a group of fiddlers playing, mm. we would probably play tunes seven, eight, nine, ten times sometimes and get into that kind of absolute groove. And, and the pulse just builds. Why does that
1: not happen more often? Like that, I yeah. adore that. Like I mm. just, I live for it. I, mm. I've i spent an embarrassing amount of time on YouTube looking, typing in the name of a tune and then mm. searching by Lent mm. and then playing back the longest version because yeah. you just want to live.
3: yeah to get into it yeah. yeah and especially those old tunes like they do there's something like i, I know the right word mantra is not the right quite the right thing but that thing you get into this sort of groove with them like and it's it sort of you sort of does it the, yeah <laughs> i'm like I mean, saying the rosary
2: yeah but it's it it's exactly oh, like so. that
3: <laughs> but it is it's sort but, of yeah. you know you do kind of get into a different sort of sort of state of mind Um, right. i think then like this there's beautiful tunes say written by ed reevey uh Cavan fiddle player composer that are they're built for fiddles they're amazingly beautiful and technical and they 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 show off the instrument to the nth degree but they're not that kind of tune like you don't want to play them ten times maybe there's probably one or two that maybe qualify say of the Ed Reavy tunes but most of them are just they're beautiful but you play them two three four times and that's probably as as long as you'd want to play them for and these old simple ones like the sort of you know the the, the, ah um. Oh, there's so many of them. <laughs> um, we play this one, is um well like rolling in the Ryegrass would be mm. one. Um there'd be um oh, like um the the a lot of them are in O'Neal, so like um, My My Ann would be one I would think of. Um um The Road to Lurgan. Even is um even like Drowsy Maggie or they're kind of they don't have very many notes, you mm. know, but they uh, very beautiful melodies often but and quite simple to play and learn kind of um uh scotch mary there's another one i'm just thinking of random ones coming to my head that i put in this category yeah, no so i'm yeah. thinking about Drowsy maggie mm. so
0: Drowsy maggie has an e minor first half mm. and a, and a mm. d major sort of second mm. half right yeah. so you've got this kind of minor major thing happening, yeah. I and it's pretty short mm. right it's kind of mm. eight phrases and eight phrases
3: yeah and it um, often, and sing- they're re- often single reels as well these older ones kind yeah. of yeah um what do you mean by single reels they play first part once second part F- once yes yeah, right so yeah, yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah so, you play, gonna, so
2: you
1: play it all the way through and then I'm back. I'm gonna start a session. It's gonna be the 10 minute session. <laughs>
3: and
1: every, every tune is 10 minutes. And then you have a little bit of a chat. And you go round and round and round. And that's yeah, it. And you got your three hours, and that's what it is You might get through a handful of tunes, yeah. but that's it's totally blissed is. out at the end. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: got to do what um, you got to do.
0: So then there's the so then there's a the question which myself and Darren were just talking about this to this morning before mm. you arrived, which was he said, oh, wait Do you hear the transition in this tune, just to switch. Mm. So the moment when you approach the, the kind of the cusp yeah. and then you move into this other yeah. tune, right, and, and in listening to recorded music, those are sometimes the most sublime moments yeah. where there's that. There's a bit of ecstasy um, there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, uh, it's just incredible. And yeah. I'm trying to, I can't think of an example. Actually, I can't think of an example. The example was actually Again, it was uh, your pal Cuevin playing yeah. with uh, Cormac Begley. Yes. Where they do Fig for a Kiss and yeah. several other tunes together. Yeah. And the transitions in yeah. that long set are... It's beautiful. Just yeah. So yeah. beautiful, yeah. Just so beautiful. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah. It's, it's well, not it,
3: a question. I mean, some, some, but there's some recordings that really just demonstrate how to do that. Well, like the, the, the one I always think of for that would be the Noel Hill and uh, Tony McMahon, Ignac Nagri, the Constantina and uh, Accordion album and the dan- dancers live on the recording as well. But the gear changes in that are just like, they just, it always goes where you want it to go. It's like the, the, the tunes just change perfectly and they, they go up that energy level. You kind of like mm-hmm. quantum leap or whatever it is, you know, and the, it's just, yeah, really, yeah, just the right energy you know and, and some tunes just do that really well they just work well together
1: it's so simple well it's not simple so when I used to DJ a, a one of the tools I was told about embarrassingly late into my DJing was about just playing with the keys so you know mm. you can shift the room by changing the key yeah and I'm like but what are you talking about the yeah. key like there's loads of keys in a in a tune yeah. but a tune will be in a, a certain key in, and then if you if you've got the depth of hand to, to know when to change that gear Yeah, you can you can blow a place apart or you've yeah. got a, you've got a room in your hand and, and it's the same thing I'm yeah. only going on about this because it's just kicked it's the same in a set thing. of tunes right yeah
3: and probably some of it's probably to do with relative majors and minors and things like keys that do work well together and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the the shape of the tune that the, like moving into a tune that stays, sort of starts up higher as well and has a, has a brighter sound or whatever Yeah, um, that just works but yeah I think some of it is to do with that contrast of you know one key to another Definitely. Do
1: you um, do you get into the academic side of music?
3: Um, yes and no. I mean, I did I did music in, like secondary school for leaving cert, and, that, and I like I I would listen to all sorts of things, like a, quite like baroque music and different things. And so at, at certain points in time, I probably would have been, yeah, I would have had good knowledge of of kind of you know how to. I can I think for leaving cert. We had to be able to do the, the the SATB, you know, the soprano, alta tenor, bass for a Bach chorale. So you get you get one line, you had to fill it out with what Bach would have written. Like you'd have to kind of know how to do that. Really? So I would have been technically uh, like able to do that at one point. one <laughs> point, I don't. I wouldn't be able to do it now. But, well, like what we that. have here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so at certain points, but yeah, but now I wouldn't. I mean, I, I love to read about you know musicians and their influences and things and um but yeah so yeah, I suppose I'd go into it but in a different way probably more on the personal side now or wanting to hear people's uh, thoughts on the music mm. more than anything and what they're trying to do when they're playing but yeah. rather than the, the technicalities as such yeah mm. so
0: c- can we have another tune and then I have a couple more things that I really want to ask you about are you doing is that yeah, okay yeah all
3: good yeah to, uh, yeah, yeah cool um, anyway. so this let's see yeah this is the Battle of Akram um so it's yeah it's an old kind of military kind of styled thing, I suppose.
1: Thank you so much for that. Your playing really resonates with me and I have a, just a couple of quick questions. Yeah. It, is it your style or is it the tunes that you're playing that has the, it, are they called double stops or is it where you're bowing two strings yeah. I'm hearing a lot of that and that, that sweetness just melts me. So it, is it the tunes or is that you, your style?
3: Um, probably my style, yeah. yeah. Um tend to do a fair bit of that. Oh, <laughs> it's so nice. And then,
1: the other part too, I think, is just the, is the timbre of your your fiddle. What what fiddle do you play?
3: Yeah, um, yeah. This it's, it's a I think it's an old. We reckon it's a German fiddle. It's a very old fiddle, and it was a, sort of a, a funny story about how I got it. So I I was, I was playing my grandfather's fiddle from the age of about twelve to fourteen, but it was kind of I was a bit limited by it because it was it just it was a little bit harsh at times. And actually, the, the moment I sort of we broke up was I was I was I was, I was at Milltown Malveh at um at the one of the like the workshop I've been waiting waiting to go to all my life basically so it was like I still can't believe I was in this room with these people but um and was one of the last years these fellas were teaching so uh, Bobby Casey Junior Crehan uh Padra Lachlan and I think PJ Hayes came in a bit as well um and and uh, Joe, Joe Ryan actually was the other one uh, from West he's a Westclair fiddle player so this uh these four these four guys were holding the workshops. So usually it was one teacher, but for this the for the Claire fiddle playing class, um, it was sort of a master class, he had to be kind of a bit better to get into it. And it was only a smaller group of students and the lads would just play the tunes and chat. It was they weren't they weren't like teaching it tunes, like in the other workshops you'd be learning like, you know, four or five tunes per day. Whereas this is more about listening to them, letting they just talk amongst themselves, reminisce, play a tune. So it was quite social. But anyway, as part of this, um I think the, the lads were like, oh, "Can we all we'll just, just sort of swap fiddles?" They wanted to have a go on everyone's fiddle to see who had nice fiddles. So um, the fiddles were being passed around. I always thought my fiddle was great; I didn't really have any issues. with But anyway, it got passed along the line. So like Bobby Casey had to go, and Junior Crean had to go, and they were all like, "Hmm." <laughs> and um, and they handed it back to me. I think I, I think it was Patherlock, and he had it goes, oh, "It's a grand fiddle. It's a bit a bit rough." <laughs> and I was like. Oh, God. <laughs> like, you know, if with, with, Bobby Casey and Junior Queen and Peter Lupin think your <laughs> fiddle's a bit rough, you better get a new fiddle. <laughs> so I remember just being crestfallen, you know. Um, and it was, it, 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 you know, it's, it's not a bad fiddle, but just, it, it, it just didn't have. So I, I think I, I went back and told my. My parents that, that evening go, oh, Bobby Casey doesn't like my fiddle. That's a great, uh, that's a great in for an upgrade if you've got I that know. kind of story. So, um, so they're all all fair r- though,
0: actually as well, like, you know, if you're, if, if you're getting into the, 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 the top workshop on a bad fiddle, imagine, I mean, imagine how good you'd be with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Ferrari. <laughs> right.
3: So, um, so oh. yeah, um. And like there'd been talk maybe of getting one anyway, maybe. So anyway, that was it. So there was a fella called Tommy Robinson who used to send, sell accordions at the boot of his Cortina <laughs> at, at Milton Malby at the Woolly Week every year. And my father would always get talking to him because he's a bit of a character. And um, he said, shall we to ask Tommy? does he get, I think he might have a few fiddles. So um, Tommy was from Belfast and uh, yeah he's a real character. He'd have all the... The accordion stacked on the on the roof of the car, the boot open, and he'd have maybe a, a CD playing, and just like everyone just pe- yeah people be hang, hanging around the car and trying out the accordions and stuff. So my dad asked him, oh, do you, do you have any fiddles? And he's like, oh yeah, I've got a few. um Sure, do you want to come up and I'll come up to the house sometime up in Belfast, and you can have a look. So my dad's like, great, road trip, brilliant. You know, he'd love that. So um so we. I was yeah about 15, 14 maybe so myself, my dad and my fiddle teacher Mary we all went on a road trip up to Belfast uh, to go to Tommy's house and he was in the heart of Belfast and a really, you know, innocuous kind of urban sort of street like kind of red brick houses and, you know, nothing much to look at and uh, anyway, knocked on the door there's Tommy and he brought us in and he, he was like the house was just unbelievable so... The, the wife was there. I think she was sort of throwing the eyes up to heaven, Go, oh, you know, she's obviously sick of, sick of living in this fella because he had the whole place was just like an Aladdin's cave of fiddles. Like, yeah. he had the, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, like his, his the front room and the back, sort of the sitting room and the dining room were just wall to wall racks of fiddles. Most of them with no, even, even no strings on them. So, you know, probably there for God knows how long, hanging there. And um, just, yeah, so he had like, I think two rails and the fiddle, 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 fiddle. Um, I was like, oh my god, where do you even start? You know, so you, could, you couldn't move in the house for fiddles, and wow. uh, yeah, like you would, you would, you know, from the street you would never guess that, <laughs> that was behind the front door. Like I was just like, oh my god, and he was like, well, what, what do you want, kind of thing. And um, I was like, oh, well, you know, where do I, so I said, well, something sweet, but has it has a you know has a bit of you know warmth, and I, I can't remember. I probably just tried to describe something of what I wanted, a, 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 big, a bigish sound, you know, and. Um, so he was like and he went, went up and browsed up and down the rows and he had a little Jack Russell that was following him around <laughs> and the dog hair everywhere and uh, he just took a few fiddles down off the rack and um, they and put them on the couch and he's like try those there and um, so I started playing them and this particular fiddle was probably the rough diamond because it, it had cracks and it's, it's been repaired but it, it was the least fancy looking there was one of them I remember had beautiful mother of pearl I think he probably took that one out for me because he thought oh she's a little girl now she'd love the, the pretty one so I, I picked that one up but it was it was kind of uh, it was it was nice but it was nothing nothing special and then I picked this one up and just like bang it was like that's it and uh, went back around the the four or five he'd taken out and just kept coming back to this one I was like that's it that's it yeah. I love that varnish yeah it's, I mean it's yeah so it was just it was just one of the things Just, just physically just suited me straight away um, and it was lovely though. it was just so clear there was, was no there was no competition then it was like yeah. no matter what he took out then for each try was like no no this is the one And I remember my teacher being a little bit, she was like, oh, like it looks a bit kind of, because it had these cracks, you know, it needed, like it was definitely, it had seen a bit of playing and (laughs) maybe it'd been dropped or something, but no, 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 like just, just so easy to play, so... I think it was four four hundred. I think about four hundred pounds were exchanged, and then Tommy brought us out for tea, for uh, fish and chips down the, <laughs> down the local chipper, and then off we went, and that was it. Yeah, so it was yeah great great day trip. There it, <laughs> there it is. There it is. There That's, it still is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and I, I still haven't. I've never played a fiddle. I liked better than it. So yeah. That's brilliant. Made a good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I have
0: one question that I've mm. I've been sort of wondering about since since we first met actually, mm. and and I knew that you worked as a doctor and. I was thinking about um, something that comes up over and over again in in these conversations is about listening, yeah. and, and 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 I was thinking about the the art of listening and the art of listening as a doctor and the art of listening as a musician, mm-hmm. and how those how those kind of intersect, I mm-hmm. suppose. And um, as is becoming my habit, I don't really have a question. It was just something that yeah. was in my head as yeah. I was. Yes. As I was wondering about that that and also then then the the um more creative side of being a doctor in terms of when you're listening and interpreting and um communicating with yeah patients, you know.
3: Yeah, I imagine, is there and there's something there definitely. I think especially maybe being a GP as I am, um, you do a lot a lot of listening every day, and <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's um, and I think look, like, I think when you, like, if I kind of go back to when I first qualified as a doctor, you, you're probably still a bit full of ego, and you don't think you don't realize you are. You, you think you're not, but you kind of are. Um, and o- over time, I've definitely gotten better. at Well, I think I've gotten better at pro- like leaving my own ego to one side and trying to give people space to say what they need to say and not putting my own judgments on people or labeling things that they don't want labels or whatever. Um, Still feeling free to give advice and feedback because ultimately people are coming to you for for that. But um, being careful not to tell people, not to to try and interpret people's experience for them, you know, too much, unless they kind of really want you to or uh, like directly ask you to. Um, And leaving room, I think, for people to, you know, I suppose not fit neatly into categories you know um like people's experience of things can be very personal and it may not fit neatly into a textbook and sometimes you have to just be okay with that Mm -hmm. um but yeah I think that does it does make you that that job makes you you know if you're going to be good at it you need to listen and not be always kind of jumping in um I think yeah musically there's definitely a crossover there I think there's you know being more receptive and maybe hearing the the nuance of things because you you are always looking out for the little quirk or the little clue about what what, what's why something's happening or what in someone's life but then musically I suppose you know it does make you maybe more receptive or sensitive as well um so I think there is definitely a a crossover I think it's well playing Irish music and playing it well you do it is so much about being Like, yes, you have to express yourself and, you know, try and put something into the room so other people can enjoy. Listeners can enjoy it or dancers can dance to it. And that's all important. But I think really listening and playing well with other people and being very alive to other people is, is that's where some of the best music comes about, you know, if you're really uh, tuned into other people's wavelength and and not not just so focused on what you are doing, you know? Um, Yeah.
0: And and I guess that does resonate somewhat with the, the, the moment that you had when you were younger where you're in competition and competition is uh, is a bit more about the ego yeah. and a bit less about that sort of collective and the, uh, less about the shared listening, yeah, I suppose.
3: Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I think yeah. With as, as time goes by, there I've definitely got more wisdom around that. You know, I, I didn't. I could, to be fair, it didn't take me long to figure that out. You know, did the competition thing for a few years, and then you began to realize where the, the the soul of it was, and it was the soul of it was probably playing at three a.m. on. A, a street at a festival, you <laughs> That's know. That's where the crack is. Too, That's yeah. what the crack is too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Kind of these, yeah, or kind of quiet moments. Just some perfect session, like you know, the the last day of a festival, or sometimes it'd be the Monday after a festival. Like the crowds go, and then there's a few stragglers, and then there's a quiet tune in a pub at four o'clock on the Monday. And there's like, there's a scattering of people there. And like, it's like, oh, that was like, that was, that was the tune of the festival. You're, you're always looking for that. When you go to festivals, you're hoping to get that one little nugget where you go, mm. yes, you know, the right people, the right moment. And then everyone's in this right headspace, and then you get that magic moment happening. So that's, that's sort of, uh, yeah, you begin to realize, okay, that's where the magic is, you know, and uh, yeah, then, then you can kind of get over all the, the ego stuff, mm. <laughs> you know.
1: You kind of made me blush a bit when you were talking about, um, about listening and listening as a doctor and translating it to music and when you said how listening as a, as a doctor you really need to be listening to what the person says and not interpreting it to be something else and it's, it's kind of hard to say because I feel embarrassed about it but I know a personality trait of mine which I wouldn't like would be a, I would probably do exactly that I would be the annoying person when I'm trying to solve it for you or jumping in and interpreting the blush came when i realized i do exactly that in tunes I'm, I'm always learning tunes the wrong way because i'll in, i'll just run away and interpret it to think i think i'm doing the right thing and and, and i'll get myself in trouble I, that that hit hard and hit oh. home. so that's that's, that's really nice no no, no <laughs> that's great I I, I I think finding those moments where you can see that correlations has come from music maybe i can start applying that thinking in both parts yeah, but it's
3: give and take i mean you, you, i think it's it's also important not to be afraid to express and to sort of like musically reach out and i think when you're playing with another person um and i, I play with kieran my husband a lot of uh, kind of music he plays concertina and you know when you're playing a duet with um somebody regularly you do start kind of finding communication points that you, you can sort of sometimes become almost a little bit um you can kind of preempt things or anticipate things that the other person is going to do, or you might musically suggest something, like so you push it across the table in in real time, and they they grab it, they 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 get it, you know, or yeah, or you end up putting in the same variation at the same time randomly, and you kind of both open your eyes and go, huh? <laughs> how did that happen, you know? But it's it's so I think you know there's there's it's sort of like being able to give and take, like you know not being afraid. I think it's it's, it's important to be able to kind of suggest or offer or give but it must be i think it's the spirit of it is, is the things like if you're suggesting and offering it it's 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 different than saying whoa look at me i'm so awesome <laughs> you know it's you know and look we all we all have our show off moments don't get me wrong you know, there's moments when you're on on a stage or you're performing and you're, you're there to say this is me i'm going to play this it's going to be amazing please listen um but then you know uh in it, it maybe playing with other musicians or in other settings you, you you kind of it's more give and take maybe you know so it, it, it there's context as well I yeah. think too. Well, I <laughs>
1: want to take your lesson try to apply it more of my personal life. My
2: music, <laughs> so thanks
1: for that <laughs> um could
0: we have one last chin?
3: Yeah um yes what do we do?
0: Thank you so much for doing this. Yes. it's been brilliant. Oh really um, I feel like it's only part one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so
3: yeah, much. No so yeah I might try two more hornpipes um, so the first one's called Fitzgerald's and again I think I probably got this I think it's um, I think it was Dennis Murphy recording and then separately I, I heard um, Kevin Burke playing the second one it's called Un fion, which means the fair-haired child and um, they just kind of fit together I think they have the same kind of vibe so I, I often play them together
1: love uh it is it so it's a learning curve for me uh, listeners and you'll know like uh, my love of old time music uh, and as much as i'm accustomed to it and i'm accustomed to irish music i still there's still moments where it becomes blurred where i can't i'm hearing i'm hearing things i love in one and in the other but it's the same things and today i had a bit of a a penny drop when i was i think i, yeah, I I mentioned that, and it's the crossbowing, and I think for me personally, that's what I love. In playing it. a couple of strings at a time, yeah. And it just adds a, for me, it, I want to say sweetness, but it's not. There's, a, there's a, an extra emotive value in doing that for me. And Afrik's playing just got like that. That's that's my wavelength. Is exactly in what what she was playing. That was an absolute pleasure to to listen to.
0: Yeah, and and the. <laughs> the chat we had, this always happens when you turn off the tape, there's another little bit. Um, uh, yeah. where, when you nipped out after, after we'd finished, Darren, um, we were talking about hornpipes and those hornpipes she played and the sh- there's something very satisfying about the shape of a hornpipe and I don't know how to describe it, but uh, we were just chatting about that and the, the simplicity of those older hornpipes that she was playing they're not so tripletly. They're not so diddly 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 diddly. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's more space in there, and there's there's something about the uh, pacing that is just so, uh, uh, like you say, just it's right on the money. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so beautiful. And I know with this this episode, I'll be I'll be dipping back in I, many times to I, to listen. So, so thank you so much, Afrik. That
0: was that was really something else.
1: Uh, again, thanks to our patrons, and um, yeah, look. Patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims if you feel inspired after listening to that episode. We'll be back again next week. Yes, we will. And And it's going to be brilliant. We'll talk to you then. All right. See you then.
2: Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.